Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. And Tony, our team is 14 years old. And, you know, half of them haven't hit a growth spurt yet, most of them. And, you know, Matthew's a scrawny little kid. He's 5'8". He probably weighs 110. And they step on the court last night, Tone, and there's two 6'7 kids. 6'7". <laughs> <laughs> this is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Very special day on the podcast. We have no idea where Nigel is. We sent him home because Dave Sims is here. Dave Sims excited to meet Chessy the dog, excited to have Bethesda bagels, and excited that I'm wearing an original Dave Sims hat today. There you go. Right? Yes, sir. Good You're to see in you town guys. because of the Mariners are in town. Mariners, we're, we're in town for like a cup of, a cup of coffee. We have a d- night game and a day game tomorrow, and then we're out of here. They go to Texas. The Mariners, we'll get to this in a bit, but the Mariners are 9-1, and one, and the Nats are 1-4,010. and 4, What can I tell you? Yeah. <laughs> we came to feast. That's exactly right. <laughs> two, two quick wins. All right. Uh, let me start with this. I was looking through old emails. This is from May. From Chris Suma, or Suma, S-U-M-M-A, Scranton, Pennsylvania, right on I-81, right on the way to Binghamton. Dear Dr. Tony, my daughter Isabella, a softball player at West Scranton High School, is currently leading her league in home runs and RBI. Can she get a shot with the Nats? Let me know if you have Davey's number. I don't have Davey's number. Don't know if we can get her a shot with the Nats. You never know about these things. Uh, Get this letter the other day. Actually, you know what? As long as Sims is here, I'm going to ask for his expertise. What do you got? How about Warrior God Max Scherzer last well night? Well okay, fit. I watched a lot of it. How about that? Stud. On the road. Right. On the road. Second start. Gives up nothing. As we like to, the, to, say, to the world champions. We like to say major shovage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gives up one home run. They're up to, what, to nothing, so it's 2-1. Strikes out nine. Goes seven. Gets the win on the road against Max Fried who has been for the last five years a Cy Young contender. And he didn't have anything last night. It was amazing. Max Fried. Uh, yeah, Fried. Yeah, right. I, I thought you – know, and we see – we will see Atlanta mid-September in Seattle. Um, Braves are really good. They've gotten hot. They're running down the Mets. I, I was enjoying the Mets double-digit lead for the longest time. I'm praying that uh, DeGrom comes back. And um, let's see what happens from there. They're a good I'm team. Proud to say They're both beat, good. I'm proud to say we beat the Mets two out of three at City this year. That's good. That's good. Um, also, an update for people who care about my gardening. My peppers are suffering blossom end rot again. I've just in the last two days thrown out six different peppers with blossom end rot, Michael. Do we think this is from the heavy rains we've been getting? No, no. I don't know what it's from. I just know that, that a whole full side of a pepper is soft and mushy and is not a well, pepper. Have you done something different this year than in years past? No. Same soil probably, too. Yes. Oh, sure. I don't waste that oh, soil. So what soil. we got before, we're getting again. Blossom and Rot and the new Christy Mistrels are, have attacked everything I've done. I, hope these are I have a letter here. As, as Sims can attest, who's, who's the letterhead from? Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. And it goes... Tony, greetings from America's favorite sex symbol, Burt Reynolds. You'll see that I've sent you all 10 episodes of our mutual friend Greg Garcia's new show, Sprung. There are two episodes on each disc, and I don't expect you to watch all 10. Then again, maybe you'll get hooked. I do want you to at least watch the first one or two, because Greg looks up to you and would like, to see, would like you to see what he's been up to. Plus, three days a week, he listens to you talk about coffee, ice cream, toasters, and sports he doesn't care about. It's the least you can do. The show will start airing on Amazon Freebie. F-R-E-E-V-E-E. I don't know what that means. I don't know that one. On Friday, August 19th. So maybe you can have Greg on your podcast that day or the week after. Good luck keeping the deer away from the day lilies. I heard someone suggest using human hair, but let's be honest. If you had human hair, you wouldn't have to give your wife day lilies. Your dead pal, your pal, dead Burt Reynolds. P.S. If you decide not to watch any of the episodes, the DVDs make pretty decent coasters. So... I think that Greg bought from the Burt Reynolds estate stationery. <laughs> That's amazing. He's done this before, sent me Burt Reynolds things. I watched last night. So you have a DVD player. Okay, well, let me explain what happened. I sit down at 8.30, and I say to Carol, you know how to work this, right? And she says, yeah. We get nothing till 9 o'clock. She didn't know how to work at it. At what point did you find the input button on the clicker? I didn't. I'd never found anything. But Carol finally... In a, in a miracle act, got it to work at 9 o'clock. So I stayed up very late because I watched an episode. The show is called Sprung. 
Now, I don't I know Greg is listening. And we have an, e- uh, an email from Greg later. I know Greg is listening. The show is about, the essence of the show is COVID hits and prisons let their minimum security risks go. Their nonviolent criminals go. And these criminals, um, two of them who were in a cell together and then a woman and then the mom of the guy in the cell. So the mom picks up, <clears throat> the mom picks up her kid, Rooster, and these other people go along for the ride and they, the mom is in a 1976 AMC Pacer. Oh, and the mom is played, I think, by Martha Plimpton. And the mom is the star of the show. The mom is, the first thing we're introduced to the mom she does is she has her son drive very slowly as she becomes a porch pirate in a nice neighborhood. <laughs> and sticks all the boxes in the back of the car. She's a gangster. Okay, so in full disclosure, we went out. You know, the, it went out, Comcast or somebody, or AT&T or somebody, it doesn't matter, killed us again for the 19th time not in your, 25. Not to your Comcast rant. You're just killing us. Um, so I was saying that the, that the mom in this show, who I believe is played by Martha Plimpton, is a total gangster and a porch pirate. And, and the premise of the show is that these people will go around and rob from bad people. And one of the great devices in the first episode is how they learn, how these minimum security prison people learn the ways of robbing and putting chloroform on people's noses and knocking them out. And you learn this because you're in prison. And the other prisoners tell you, oh, if you want to do this, this is how you do it. This is how you rob an ATM. This is how it works. So I don't know down the road if they'll only rob from bad people or maybe they'll rob from good people. It doesn't matter. I'm in for the long term because of Garcia. And I wanted to say this, that the entire show is filmed in Pittsburgh, and they have the, I think it's called the H.I. McDonough or McCormick or something like that, correctional facility. I'm sure that's made up. But I'll ask Greg this. In the great former prison movie, and it is a great movie, Raising Arizona, which is about a couple of people escaping from prison and reuniting with Nick Cage, who has gotten out of prison, his name is H.I. They always call him H.I. So I wonder if Greg, in, in a sort of ode to Raising Arizona, did that. I said the other day that the two funniest people stand around funny I've ever been around are Dave Barry and Jim Valvano. Right, David? I, I Valvano. remember Valvano. When I was an intern, I in, interviewed him when he was at Bucknell and then covered games when he was at Iona. Unbelievably funny. Yeah, tremendously funny. This is not the same as what Greg Garcia does. Greg Garcia is professionally funny. Greg Garcia does something much harder than stand-around funny, which is not only is he stand-around funny, he has structure. He wrote the whole show. He wrote all the episodes. He moves the characters around and gives them funny things to say. So I admire that. I just admire that tremendously. And we all know his work, you know, on Raising Hope and um, My Name is Earl and, and all of these great shows and the guest book and all of that. So I hope this is a big hit. They curse in it, which is a little different from me. So I guess that will not put them on, you know, CBS or NBC or ABC. Right. They do that. Yeah, though I'm surprised by what passes on network every day. So. Is that right? Yeah. So I don't know. I haven't watched network TV in a long time. But it's, it's really, really good. And it's called Sprung. And I'm very happy, you know, to talk about it and for happy to have gotten a letter from Burt Reynolds. Well, it's interesting that we get this art phase that we are entering where COVID is, is a reality that we are sort of looking back at. It's not just the reaction to it. I think this is the first show that, you know, that's not a documentary or news show <laughs> that in a funny way deals with COVID. Like there's this one really good sort of ballet scene in which the lead character is afraid of COVID and afraid to touch anything. So he's trying to get a dollar into a soft drink vending slot situation and he can't touch the dollar because he found it on the street so he wraps his shirt around it but then he can't get the edges to go into the slot and then he takes a very deep breath i don't know why you do that but he takes a very deep breath and just does it and there's a bum laying on the street laughing at him so it's you know it's this sort of weird thing that that greg got does and and you know, I'm in for a dime and in for a dollar on this. I want to see it. I think it's really good. I was going to talk about my hearing test today, but I've probably gone on what? to... Yeah, my hearing test today. I'll just do this very briefly. 
I took a hearing test today, and I have age-appropriate lack of hearing. Now, nobody in the world, if you had a choice, you would take vision over hearing. Of course you would. My vision is still fine. I mean, I have to read with glasses, but I can see street signs from 200 yeah, feet away. Yeah, you have great long-distance you know, vision. So that's what you need. And In fact, when somebody hits a golf ball, I can tell them where it's gone when they can't tell it where You've it's gone. You've not switched to the yellow one yet. The yellow golf ball? Yeah. No, I don't want to do that. So I, um, I can see all the golf balls. I, I can't see the red ones, though. The red ones are very hard to see in the air. Interesting. Very hard to see in the air. But my hearing is age. It's not terrible. Like, it's not like one ear isn't really bad and one ear okay, which happens with your eyes a lot. No. Both are not very good and both are diminishing, but both are not terrible. So I think I'm going to get hearing aids. What do you think? I'm so excited for this next phase of your life. The hearing aid. Are you going to get just one single hearing aid? Like, just for the right ear, just for the left ear? I assumed you get two, because I, I continue to have two ears. But I want to get the ones that go into my ears, because at this point in my life, as is Sims, we are used to having things in our ears. All the time. Right? Yeah, and, and our hearing, I think our hearing is diminished by having sound reverberate in our ears through those. I'll buy that, because I have this thing cranked up pretty high now. Yep. So. <laughs> if you, you, you had to go way past 11, just say that. Yeah, so, I mean, I think... So you know. for the hearing test, did you do the? Do you go in the little phone booth? You and go in a booth. The sound that basically beep, goes beep, side beep, to beep, side. Beep. They have beep all your right ear, then in your left ear, and you say yes when you hear it. I took a few guesses. Oh yeah, I, I couldn't see the woman who was giving the test. She was probably laughing when I said, "Yeah, I think so." When I'm sure there was no sound, and she had her hand down on the no sound and wait for this dope <laughs> to say, "Yeah, I think so." Yeah, and then both ears, and then I had to repeat a series of words. And I got most of the words right. I just love that they told you the reason you can't understand your grandkids. I can't. Who enunciate perfectly is I because can't. of the frequency of the pitch. High the pitch. Sound they said high pitch. Yeah. And I said, no, I don't understand them. And I don't understand a word my wife says. Not a single word. But I have, I, you know what I have no trouble with? No trouble with a phone call in the car. No. I mean, it comes through the speaker system in the car. And I'm good with it. I've stopped watching TV except for ball games, basically. Because I can't hear movies. Are you? How's your hearing? It's good. I, I really don't have any major problems. Having worked at WFAN during the Imus days, I, he would always leave the volume up, and I got used to it. So that's <laughs> right. Well, right he had now. he had bad hearing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I, you know, I, I like to hear, you know, like to hear what the heck I'm saying. So you have no problem. How's your vision? Real good. Just had it checked uh, three, two, three weeks ago. Yeah. yeah real so good. when you. I went to the doctor before the hearing test, I went for the examination. And he looked in my ears because he's an ear doctor. He said, your ears look fine. Like, you don't have to worry that something is terrible in your ear. You may not be able to hear, but your ears look good. So I thought I could so get a job as an you. ear model. <laughs> you know, something like that. <laughs> I thought it'd be pretty good. Anyway, we'll get out of here. We'll have Chuck Culpepper. And when we're done with Chuck, and he'll review Wimbledon and, and look forward to the British Open, then we're going to talk to Sims about what it's like Garcia would love this. Maybe he can write a character, a guy who does baseball games without actually going to the baseball games for a year, <laughs> for a full year, for two. The road, ga road games for two. Two years. Yeah. Two years doing a baseball game sitting in your house. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes to us from Jeremy Rilko who says, I play banjo in the Asheville, North Carolina-based band, The Well Drinkers. We just released a new single that we're proud of called Fly the Coop. Thanks for giving us artists a platform for our music, and if anyone is in the Asheville area, come check us out and say hey at Jack of the Wood downtown every Sunday for bluegrass brunch. That's nice. Asheville is beautiful. That's the hot town right yeah. in western North Carolina. Just Arch, Arch Campbell lives there. Yeah. Arch got a house in there. So it's called Fly the Coop, and it plays in Chuck Culpepper. Chuck is still in England for us. Well, not for us, for the Post, but we're borrowing him. Let's start with, uh, with Wimbledon for a second. Is it a satisfying ending to you 
that Djokovic wins that and now is basically done for the year. Can't catch Nadal this year. Can't even catch him at the beginning of next year because I wasn't aware of this, Chuck. He, well, the deportation carries with it a three-year ban from entering Australia. I didn't even know that. I do think that there's a possibility that I was told that that uh, standard could be, maybe there could be an exemption in some way on right. that one. I mean, right. I, I don't know how firm that thing is. Uh, it, but yes, it's, it's, I mean, I absolutely find it beautiful watching him play. And I miss it when he doesn't play as someone who, you know, who finds it beautiful watching him play. And I, it's just, the, the idea that this would, you know, alter the history of the sport, it has bugged me for 30 years now that, uh, that Monica Sellis was taken out of the sport when right at the point where she had become, you know, possibly the greatest ever and that it tilted those records, you know, and, and um, of winning slams. And I think, you know, this is an entirely different thing, but it's, it's just, you know, it's just bugs me that that we don't maybe get the truest possible measure we could of of who's going to win the most slams so you had uh, normally wimbledon would not have the amount of news stories that it had but because of the ban of the russian and the belarusian players and because of the covid and also the big the biggest story i'm sorry even bigger than Djokovic winning was nadal dropping out that's the biggest news story. You're a news guy. You understand that. How surprising was that to you? I thought it was a little surprising. I thought once I, you know, sat out there through the whole match with uh, with Taylor Fritz, and I thought that once he got through that, there's something about him that he's taught us all through the years. Where, you know, you think you kind of think that he's maybe not susceptible to the same uh, physical rules. That's, that we all have for ourselves. So, yeah, I thought I thought that was a bit of a surprise. As soon as the press conference uh, turned up, you know, they have a video monitor where it says Rafael Nadal, I think it was 7.15 that night. It was, everyone was like, oh, well, that's it. You know, yeah. you wouldn't have a press conference on your off day at 7.15 at night unless you were withdrawing. So, yeah, I, I, I was a little surprised because I thought he was going to go on. The key thing to look at in that is the 2009 U.S. Open, when he played with that same kind of abdominal strain or tear, and he said it was six millimeters at the start of the tournament and 26 at the end. And I think that's the experience that really was informing him in that case to, to go ahead and, and not make that thing get... He, he considered that a mistake back then, and he got clobbered in the semis by Juan Martin Del Potro's 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. So I think... He just considered that a mistake, and he didn't want to make yeah. the same mistake this time. And so that gives us Nick Kyrgios in the finals, who is reviled, who is a wrestling villain, if there ever was a wrestling villain, who is not, he is not John McEnroe. I mean, let's, let's stop this nonsense. But had he won, I mean, had he won and had a Moscow-born woman won, which she did, Rybianko, if I have that, Rybikino, if I have that name pronounced correctly, that's terrible for Wimbledon, right? Because then they get a maniac and they get someone they thought they had banned. I've sort of come to think Wimbledon is like the the big elegant frigate that just sails over. I really do. I just thought I I I just didn't have a sense that the women's final really aggravated anyone with Wimbledon. I think they they just had their standard, you know, they they, of, of no Russian players, no Belarusian players, and here's this, a player playing for Kazakhstan, which is a kind of a little pipeline. You know, it's, it's been done before, never to the extent of somebody winning a slam, but other Russian players have taken the money and the training and gone there, or, or gone gone to to represent them. You know, while this, this champion is still living in Moscow, so that's a, that's a bit awkward. But I I still get the sense that Wimbledon just. It just kind of the old keep calm and move on. I think it just weathers these things. She still lives in Moscow. That that's new she to me. Does. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, she how... still lives in Moscow as her residence, and you know, I, I just she, you know, she's she was very impressive in her 
post-match interview in that she's known as an unemotional person, and you, you saw her reaction to winning, which was, you know, barely cried. a twitch. And, well, she um, cried in the, but then in the mat. Yeah. She cried, yeah. Once yeah. somebody mentioned, well, how are your parents going to react? And then she made a joke. She said, well, you all wanted to see emotion, so everybody laughed. But, yeah, but the idea of her going back to Moscow now just seems to me, I, I just it just seems really interesting. I don't know what that's going to be like. That's wild. I mean, you specifically, whether, whether you agree with the ban or not, the ban is in place, and now it doesn't touch her. And she's going back to Moscow. And she's, she's not eating at a McDonald's because they were all, their names were all changed. But, you know. All right. Okay. It's let's a great move on. City. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on um, to the British Open. And the first question I got is, what is the excitement level for Tiger? And what did you think about the pairing of who they got Tiger with the first two days? Well, I think, I think around here, the, you can just feel it everywhere. I'm standing by the shore right now. I'm hoping to maybe tilt the phone so that you can catch maybe a wind sound, an authentic wind sound that will, that will be recorded, you know, and, and come on to the, to the show. So it's the, the 150, the 150th open. It's, it's just, it's everywhere. You feel it everywhere. It's on t-shirts, it's on signage, it's on, you know, it's, the golfers are all talking about it in, in you know, these hallowed terms. And, um, and so I think it's, there's a feeling of however many majors one is lucky enough to go to that this one is different from all the others, maybe because of sense of place, St. Andrews and, the, and the, uh, the anniversary and all that. And Tiger, this morning in his, in his press conference, was just, just really... <clears throat> Um, sounded like a statesman to me. Sounded like he had found that we always associate Nicholas and Palmer with having had, where you kind of speak for the game. And that was in particular when he was asked three different live questions, and he, you know, he just said of the players who have left, he said, "I just don't understand it." And he, he really, it was kind of a voice that made me think could have been handy at the U.S. Open. I don't know if it would have changed anything, but it, it's certainly this voice that is kind of standing up for the old guard. He even made a <clears throat> little complaint about the music at live events, you know, kind of the old guy complaining about the loud music. And I just thought he had a sound to him that was, that was really, you know, I guess profound at this moment in the just crazy moment in the sports history. He's out there with Matthew Fitzpatrick, who just won the U.S. Open, and with Max Homa, who seems to be the kind of guy who would who loves this because he's so, he's so good on in interviews. Max Homa, uh, Michael, what did you say earlier? He's the sacrificial lamb. He's been thrown to the wolves in this one. That's, Homa. A, hard, that's a hard pairing. Yeah, Only worse is the group right behind him. Yeah. So, um, do you think that? Do you think that would affect? I mean, Tiger draws an unbelievable crowd. Do you think that will affect Matthew Fitzpatrick? I think Matthew Fitzpatrick after the. You know, winning the U.S. Open would be okay with that, and making that shot on the 72nd hole yeah. in Boston. I, you know, I think for Homa, it'll be the kind of thing where, um, you know, it'll it'll be maybe an, an something he will do him good to experience. You know, maybe another wrinkle in his his development. Not not that he needs to develop all that much more because he's already done a lot. But I think for him, it'll be probably a, a newer. Experience and ultimately maybe a valuable one. Oh, I think he's the go-to guy. If I'm writing a column, I'm going to talk to Max Home after that round on the first day. What's it like playing with Tiger? Right? I mean, that's that's the sort of obvious place you start if you're writing a column. You're doing game stories, but if I was there, I would go to Homa. What do you think? I wish you'd come over here and sit with me and write a column. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah, it's a long. Time. We're all staying, A lot of us are staying in Saint Andrews University dormitories, so I feel like I'm 18 again. I wish you'd come to my keg party as well. <laughs> um, I got a question about the course. This is this is where it all began, and it hasn't changed all that much. And there are par fours that are gettable off the tee. I mean, is there any worry? that St. Andrews is going to be embarrassed by the distance that so many players have now. 
Nobody has that worry that I've heard. Will Zalatoris just came in and said, once you, let's see, there's eight words. Once you think you've figured out this, once you think you have this course figured out, you don't. Mm-hmm. So I think they all still think that because of the wind, I mean, I guess if there's no wind, but there's going to be wind. So I, I, I just think they all think that this course has been able to sort of stand the, as Tiger put it, it's overridden technology and all the advancements in, in golf technology. So there's, there's seemingly not a single concern that I've heard about that happening. All right, let's get to let's get to the Saudi tour because the Saudi tour hangs over everything until they put the peg in the ground on Thursday. The Saudi tour is going to be the story. Do you think it's a better story if a if a Saudi tour player wins this? Does that force a reconciliation, or do you think it's a better story if if a PGA tour player wins this, which would maybe give the Masters and the British Open and the U.S. Open the cover to put in new rules and not allow these people in, which seems to me what the RNA wants to do. I could be wrong. I think that latter one is a better story. I think that calls up all those questions, and I think those questions are, are you know, are really intriguing. You know, what do you do? And Tiger brought up the prospect this morning about the fact that the people who have gone to the live tour there's a chance that he he was most concerned about the young players who've gone sort of straight from near amateurism to to the live tour and how there's a chance they might never get to you know experience these hallowed walks as he put it you know that that we do and and so he was more concerned with them than with say a player who would have some exemptions still going who would want to make various major winners who've gone to the live tour so I think I think the idea of a PGA Tour player winning it, that might, I, I agree with you that that would set in motion some, some thoughts that, that are going to be really interesting in terms of what these majors do from here. Just, just to make sure that everybody understands what we're talking about, the PGA Tour itself, I know they're the aggrieved party here, they have no play in the majors whatsoever. They don't run the majors. So whatever the majors, if they decide collectively or individually to do, and there'll be a court case, of course, like there was for the Scottish Open, there'll be something like that. But, I mean, when Tiger says you may never get to walk this walk, I mean, it's, that's not because of the PGA Tour, right, Chuck? That's, that's different. That's because of the major. Exactly right. That's if the majors ultimately decide, as you, you would kind of think that they want to decide to to sort of have as little of the live tour involved with them as, as possible. Just because of the, when you think about the, the 54 holes and the loud music that Tiger brought up, whatever, <laughs> you would think they would kind of want to, you know, disassociate with the, the, uh, let me just say this. Tiger better not go down to Grove 23 and play with Jordan then, because all they have is music down there. That's all they got. And they got carts that go 40 miles an hour at Grove 23. Well, I'll get you out of here on this next question. The punishment, the singling out and punishing of Greg Norman is astonishing to me. He's a two-time British Open champion. This is, per- I cannot read this as anything other than personal, that there is a contempt that the RNA has, and probably for some years, for Greg Norman. Tell me if I'm wrong on this, and if I'm right, tell me how you view it. Oh, no, I was, I was really surprised that that happened. And, and, you know, here is the, that's the only major he ever won. Yeah. You know, he got close so many times in the other one. There's a fantastic story by Kent Babb in our Washington Post. Uh, I think it was in May about Norman. Yes, about how great story. In, sort of, he, he's always sought his father's approval, and it was about you know that's kind of a, a journey that a lot of men have. So you know, it's, it's familiar in that way. To me, this RNA decision just that was the first thing I thought about was that story is like that's the ultimate, you know not getting invited to the birthday party story that goes on and on in life. The ultimate, you're on the outside, we're the establishment, and we don't want this disruption, and it would be a disruption, and that it just that that's the way it struck me, is, oh, here's another case of that I don't get dad's approval. 
Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world, and it is totally personal. It's totally yes. personal with Norman. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right, enjoy yourself. I can't tell you to stay out of the wind because we've been listening to the wind for 15 minutes, so stay in the wind. <laughs> Have a good time. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks so much, Tony. Thank you. Chuck Culpepper, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk with Dave about being a baseball announcer when you're not at the game. <laughs> How that works. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Jeremy Rilko playing banjo in a Nashville, North Carolina band called the Well Drinkers. They will appear at Jack of the Wood in the Asheville area. This is called Sarah's Sorrow. And Michael, if people like Jeremy Rilko want to send in their music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. All right, very exciting to have Sims here. Um, when he worked at the Daily News, I worked at Newsday in the New York Times, and we're old and we go back a long way. Um, I and, get all your reference points. Yeah, you do. You get them. You get them. And, <laughs> and you did track. something, you know, you did something that not everybody does. You went from print ultimately to broadcast and broadcast of a team in the greatest sport of all in baseball. And what makes it great is it, it, it's not game. It's not the game itself so much as that it is a daily occurrence right. for six or seven months of your life. You know, you can... You can wash yourself in it. It's if, even if your team stinks, you can wash yourself in it. And if your team is good, it's it's even easier. Now you're broadcasting for the Seattle Mariners, a team has the longest playoff drought in baseball, and who almost made it last year. We were so close <clears throat> last year. It comes down a game, one sixty. We left, you know, we left a couple of municipalities on base. Yeah. Saturday night we come back, we're down. Mitch Hanniger gets a two-run single, eighth inning. I went nuts. They happen to be our, our social media people happen to be doing a thing where they wanted to because it was such a possible momentous occasion of reaching the playoffs. They had GoPros in there to document everything. So that's why and that video went viral. And I'm still hearing from people about that. And then we then gave it up the next day on Sunday morning. But yeah, we, we're trying to make the playoffs first time since '01. Team's playing really well right now. Eight in a row, 16. Started out lousy, and now you're winning games all over. You and the Orioles are now winning games all over the place. The Orioles are climbing up our back. I mean, we, we, uh, the Mariners did a number on, uh, when two games at San Diego, come home, went four against Toronto. And now, then I turn around the last couple, three days, and here come the Orioles. Here come the O's, hon. You know, so, uh, it, it, it's very interesting. And what, and what you said about, Living it every day. I mean, the story just continues to roll on and on, the ups and da- the ups and the downs and everything. It's 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 really fascinating. So you are doing all games this year from ballparks, home and away. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we're traveling full full schedule, like quote unquote normal, as opposed to twenty, where we had the sixty games and did the thirty games at home, and then the thirty road games we did from the ballpark, from T-Mobile Park, from our. Uh, TV studio or or radio stu- uh, radio uh, booth, and uh, thankfully none of the video feeds ever went out. And I know uh, the Angels; they're not sending their radio guys even now are not on the road. Earlier in the year, they had a feed go out and they were they were toast. I don't know how long it lasted, but I know it was out. So my friend Charlie Steiner and your friend oh, Charlie yeah. Steiner did games for two years from his living room. Right, he didn't even do home games. I know. I he did all him. games yeah. from his living room. And he works with Rick Monday, who was not in his living room. Correct. Who was somewhere else. Who do you work with, and how how much distance was there between you yep. and him, and how much is there now? Yeah, well, now now it's back to normal. Mike Blowers and I, or Dan Wilson, uh, or Ryan Roland Smith, we're in the same booth, as per usual. But in 20, I was in our main, when I was on the TV side, was in the main TV, TV booth, and Mike was down in the visiting team booth, you know, two booths down to my right. And we, we, had a, we had a monitor where we could communicate with each other, like, are you done? Or, you know, you go on, or, you know, do hand signals. And then you were talking about one of the differences was we would always print, all the reads would always be printed out. Well, now we have them on monitors. So there's no touchy feeling or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and when I did, when I was on the radio side, uh, the engineer would be down in the front row. Rick Riz would be on the left, and I would be in the second tier, looking down because so we were. And and then with a big piece of plexiglass. I mean, it looked like Nuremberg, 
you know, and it was it was it was crazy. So I said to Charlie, "How is it?" And he says, "It's fine." And I said, "It's fine, really?" Because like, I, look, I know I do PTI in my attic for a variety of reasons now. It's better when Mike sit, Mike oh, and I sit together. Down. Down. But Mike yeah. is in Chicago, and Mike is in <laughs> Phoenix, and Mike is in, you know, wherever Mike is. Okay, but I understand that it's better. How was it when you're sitting alone in a booth, you're alone, and you're watching the game on television? You're so dependent on the feed. How do you, how do, you do it? It was an adjustment, to say the least. Uh, fly balls... Sometimes you could tell, and a couple times I took a chance and just went with it, and that, that line, long fly ball, that's going to leave. And then another time, you know, you get caught. And so that's you don't know what the wind is like, you know, how, how thick is the air that day. You're watching on TV. So I, I learned to sort of like find a brake pedal and sort of wear out that brake pad sometimes. Just take your time. Easier said than done because in the excitement of a moment, particularly when it's your team, yeah, you want that sucker to go out. Sure. You don't want it to go to the warning track or anything. So it was an adjustment. I, I'm, glad it, I'm glad it's over. Hopefully never have, have to do it again. How was it for the people you worked with? Was it hard? I would imagine if you're doing play-by-play, it's a little easier because there's more to talk about. If you're doing color, maybe it's harder, but then again, you can wait for the play to be over and then talk. So yeah. maybe it's easier. I don't know. Yeah, you wait. And then the other thing, too, we didn't get access to be able to go down on the field until like July of last year. Um, in 2020, there was no contact at all with the players. So the, the usual kibitzing that you do when you're going, hey, what So you you're got? not at the cage. No, couldn't do it. Couldn't. Well, that, that's See, that, a people explain what a big deal that is. Because you know, I can walk up to a player. Hey, what happened last night? Tell me about you know such and such pitch, such and such. Uh, you made a heck of a catcher. What did you think of his the, the kid's performance? Those are little nuggets that you, know, you weave right into the telecast and it's a, a broadcast. It's a beautiful thing to be able to communicate with the guys. And you know, I'm a club employee. I'm you know, a, I go Phil Rizzuto. I'm you know, whole Homer here. Come on, and. Um, you know, you want to have their stories. You want to have little anecdotes, little you know, little nuggets of information, notes, quotes, anecdotes, as Dick Young used to say, where I used to work. So, uh, it's so much better to be able to, to go in the clubhouse. So much better to be at the cage. I don't think this is inside baseball, which is a great term, but I don't think people understand this. When you are, whether you're a broadcaster or you're a writer, the term cage time is the most important thing. For any writer or broadcaster, it is the pregame. It's ours. It's not just standing around the batting cage, though it's called cage time. It's having access to the manager in the clubhouse. It's having access to the players. It is, I'm sorry, impossible to cover a team, to cover a team without that. You can sit in your mom's basement and do a podcast. You can have all the opinions you want. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the coverage of a team where people who read you or listen to you depend on your knowledge to guide them through the team and, and the season. And if you don't have that, you're a dead uh, man. Uh, it, I will say one, there, was one, there was a plus. During the pandemic, every day we did a, uh, a, a Zoom conference. I like to say they used the Microsoft platform. But what I, we did a video conference with the manager, Scott Service, and for 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes sometimes, he was great. I mean, you could ask and get, you know, get answers and you get insight and background. That was the only thing we had. So I'm like, hey, you know, I talked to Scott today and Scott said da 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 da, you know, so right. so, you know, that kind of stuff. That was that was better than nothing, let me tell you. That was it was it was essential. Okay. Let me give you the, the the reasonable fear that anyone in your position or my position as a writer would have. That the players aren't ever going to go back to that. What, that they're oh, going to freeze you out, right? Right you are. But I must say, you're exactly right. But I must say, the veteran guys said, hey, man, it's good to see you guys again. And then we had one of our last year, our rookie, Logan Gilbert, had a heck of a run. He's a right-hand pitcher. Should have, could have, should have made the all-star team. He's got 10 games. Early this year, he says, I remember one of the PR people said, he had pitched a heck of a game. I said, you got to go do media. I said, what? Yeah, you gotta talk to the media. What are you talking about? And he said, I had never done that before. <laughs> right. You know? So that was an adjustment. But I, I think everything's worked out really well to this point. I would worry about that. I would worry yeah. I always worry the 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 lifeblood 
of, of writing is access. Absolutely. That's, you have to have it. You have to be able to talk to people. You always find on a 25-man roster, you find three guys that you know are gold. Boom. And you go to them all the time. Amen. Is it the same as a broadcaster? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know the guys, excuse me, the guys win, lose, or draw, they're going to stand up. You know? Who are your guys on Seattle? Uh, Ty France is excellent. Eugenio Suarez, the third, uh, yeah, third baseman is good. Julio Rodriguez, who I know you guys have talked about, same thing. Win, lose, draw. He's phenomenal. Got to have it. 21 years old. Uh, the pitchers largely are all good. I, Marco Gonzalez, win, lose, draw. I, I've got, you know, it's my 16th year, and I've been there a long time now. So, Well, you have an advantage over somebody new to a beat because you're there. Oh, yeah. And they know you, and, yeah. you know, they like you. Package. I assume they yeah. like you. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it does Harder help. Harder when you're a writer, as you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can remember. I can remember who was it uh, when I was covering the Knicks that one year. It can't be Russell. Hey, man, what was that stuff you wrote? You? Hey, man, ain't we got a problem with that? I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you or get a lot as, of that. Uh, as Adande heard, got no time for you today, J.A. You know, because when you're a writer... They don't need you. They used to need you. Yeah. It used to only be writers, but they don't need you anymore. You know what? The other thing, too, that we were fearful of, doing these games remotely, you guys sound great. It sounds like you're at the ballpark. I was like, uh-oh. Right. You know, yeah, they, they don't want to travel you. They come the bean counters. Yeah. They could be sunk here. Yeah. And as it is, uh, the, you know, the Angels radio, Baltimore radio, Toronto radio, I'm not traveling this year. I don't. I mean, I feel feel badly for those guys. It's hard to do. It's hard to do the game it, when you don't travel and when you're not there. Yeah. I mean, it's hard if you if you're not in the same booth with somebody. It's hard. You can do it, oh, but it's, it's not. It's not the same. It's it, not quite the it's, same. Um, it's probably 70 percent satisfaction. It's just. It's not the norm. It's not the norm. You know. So you're in D.C. and it's two games against the Nats. I'm dying with the Nats. Do you know what the, I've been listening. the Nats record? <laughs> the Nats record in division is seven and thirty-three. I saw that. That's so terrible. That is one of the worst numbers I've ever heard for a team in a division. That is incredible. It's, it's horrible. And now, and and the and National League East is not bad. It's not as good as the AL East, but it's pretty good. Well, the AL East is the best division yeah, in all of sports. It's ridiculous, especially now with the with Baltimore being on fire. So, yeah, yeah you take your and Baltimore's going to decide this. Uh, at the you know probably playoff position because they have a slew of games still remaining with Toronto. So when you go on the road again, um, do you have contact with the broadcasters from the other team? Do you sit and chat with them? Do oh, you know everybody yeah, in the world? Pretty much know everybody now, and generally either on the field or I'll go in their booth. And if they don't come to me, I go to them. Hey, what you got? Hey, you know, look for this from our guy. Blah blah blah. Right. blah, blah. It's you know it's a mutual. It's a nice exchange and. Just enjoy who uh, Toronto was just at our place. Uh, Dan Shulman and Pat Tabler, just wonderful guys. Uh, just every all the guys are good. Oh, I didn't know Shulman did the. the yeah, oh, he's he's very good. Oh, he's tremendous. I mean, he can do any sport. Yeah, oh, no doubt, no doubt. Plus, he's an athlete. I didn't know that. What, what did he play? Um, I, I'm pretty sure that he played. I want to say softball. I could be wrong on the Maccabea teams. Oh, good for him. I mean, I think he's a pretty good athlete. He's a big guy. Oh, he's a big guy. Oh, he's. I'm yeah. five eleven, six foot. He's six one, six two, easy. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, big guy. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't know he did that. Yeah, no, he's very good. And, and um, I mean, I could I could name the whole roster of guys in, in major leagues. Everybody, you, know, you wouldn't have this gig. You know, he can't be a reprobate. You know what I mean? No, I think <laughs> so, that's true. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, so, what do you do during the All Star break? That's vacation, right? Uh, yeah, what and do you I got five I, days. Uh, well, we got lucky this year. The Mariners were off uh, Monday through Thursday. And now that I've reached this status, if you will, but, you know, I get, when I get the schedule that came out, you know, take a blow here, pal. You could use it. So when I saw we were here today and tomorrow, I'm on Amtrak back to New York tomorrow. Right. And I'm blowing off the Texas series. And then uh, MLB invited me out to uh, the All-Star game uh, to host a, a forum celebrating uh, Mr. Robinson's 75th anniversary. And we're going to talk to... Uh, significant black players uh, like Hall of Famers, uh, Andre Dawson, uh, Tim Raines. We hope CeCe's going to be there. And a couple, three, and Bob Kendrick from the Negro League Museum and uh, Hall of Fame, who's unbelievable. And we'll talk about how, you know, basically being black in baseball and and what Mr. Robinson and, and Mr. Doby, who I, I'd never met Mr. Robinson, but I knew Mr. Doby and I know I'm friends with his son. Um, 
what that has meant uh, for black Americans in baseball. You know, the other day, I mean, we don't have a big population of black folk, African Americans in Seattle. And, and I see this all around. That's one, one part of it. But the other part, uh, let, me, let me go back to that point. Didn't see, there's not very many black people going to ball games. And that's not specific to Seattle by any stretch of the imagination. When I go around the American League, National League, I'll never forget one time I, I was counting. I, I literally had the binoculars on during a break. And I was, one, two. Hey, there's Floyd Little. Three. <laughs> Seriously, there's Floyd Little was sitting out in <laughs> front row in right field one year. And uh, there, it's, it, you and I, we're in the same age range. And, you know, when I was coming up, baseball was a big deal. Come on. And yeah. you went to games, you talked yeah. about it, it was yeah. Bay, yeah. Jackie Robinson, and I talk on. about this all the right? time. So It's everybody's first game. Yeah. It's everybody's So first. now, you know, it, it's, it, it's sad. Um, they're working like the Dickens to, to improve it. And I'm like, in the history of Major League Baseball, I'm like the fifth black guy to have uh, broadcast on, you know, have a team. And I try to, you know, I try to spread as much word as uh, about about baseball and pump it up. And I go on a whole bunch of, you know, well, this is the Primo podcast, but I go on a lot of podcasts and, or broadcasts that, you know, the team's uh, flagships to talk to talk baseball and talk about, you know, African American participation. And, and and literally, when when I see, you know, when I like ten, when I see a new team, or if I see, you know, we're playing, we can be playing Team X. I see a young black guy over there. And I go over and introduce myself and say, "Hey, man, welcome to the club. Nice to see somebody who looks like me." Yeah. No, I, I yeah. totally get that. I, yeah. I I think I'm right on this, although I could be wrong on this. I think Rachel Robinson is still alive. Oh goodness gracious! Ninety nine. Last I haven't uh, seen her about two years. Uh, she was. Uh, well, I saw. I met her in her. She was in her seventies. Yeah. She was the most beautiful woman oh. I ever stood next to in my life. Quick story. Rachel Robinson. I'm standing forty ninth and seventh. I'm getting ready. As a matter of fact, I was. I think I was working for Charlie at the time. And I'm at, I'm at a light, and I look at a corner, and I see this woman. I said, oh, she looks awful familiar. So not, that's not family. I went, duh, that's Mrs. Robinson. I, 49th and 7th, I ran across the street. Diagonally, I almost got killed to say hello to her. Yeah, I, I did everything but take a knee. But I want to thank you for everything you've done. Yeah, da, 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 yeah. Da, 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 told her who I was. And so now she's, she's a picture of elegance, no doubt. That's, that's exactly how I feel. 99 years old. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. All right, that's it. We're good. Unless it's something you want to add. Good to see you guys. Yeah, it's good nice. to see. Uh, you know, it's nice. To, I had time, and I think I, I wrote you or called you. I said, "Hey, I'm going to be in D.C." Yeah, and uh, you know, come see you guys. See Michael. Good. To see Chessie. See Carol. See yeah. This yeah. is it. This is what we got. It's good, man. Yeah. Come on, it's a this good is... setup. You're wearing one of my hats. I, I got to have on. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty on. happy it's, about it. It's that. all good. And uh, uh, many. Uh, let's see. Ryan Divish from the uh, Seattle Times, big fan. Dennis Bounds, you've heard from. He's a retired anchorman, big fan. And there's a few other guys, but and you know the rest with the mutual. Do you know that our, our original intern on PTI, Josh Maurer, is now doing Milwaukee Brewer games? Get out of here! No, he is, and he's our. Oh, I met him. He's I our didn't original intern. He's no our way. first year intern ever, and he he did uh, the. Portucket Red Sox for a while, and that he, is the immediate feeding ground yeah, right there. Portucket. And he got he got. The Milwaukee Brewers job, which is great. So I, I did meet him. I, I didn't know the connection. Yeah. I saw him in spring training. Um, uh, now in Maryville. Do you play, play them? You don't. Yeah, we play them in spring training. They're, oh yeah, but you don't. You no, don't have them the regular this year, season. You don't have any no, crossover play, no. with them. But next year we play everybody. That schedule is going to be a bear. Everybody is Every, that what baseball every, is going everybody's to? Everybody's playing everybody. Are they cutting down the, the divisionals? Yeah. No, that's a mistake. No, 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 no. Our, our travel is going to be a monster. You it know, already I'm, is. <laughs> I'm not a big... I thought I would be... I'm not a big fan of interleague games. I don't like them as... I, I've I, come I, to believe in the division games. Yeah, that, that's, that's very old school. I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've come around you know, the other way. I know exactly how you feel. I mean, I grew up in Philly, and the DH was like, you know, no way. Right. Now I love it. Yeah. Because for every... Don Drysdale, Bob Gibson, that we grew up with, who could hit? They're not many. <laughs> like nobody. I mean, Scherzer can hit a little Scherzer, bit. Scherzer, Bumgarner, Granky, the three guys that come to mind. Yeah, they're not, you know, they don't pra And it's so odd because they were all the best hitters on their high school teams. All of them were. They're the best athlete, the best hitter, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, and when they didn't pitch, they played short or center. Exactly. Because they were the best players. Right. Odd. Dave Sims, boys and girls, we will be back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. 
You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Get your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of your folks. That's a professional singer, boys and girls. That's Darius Rucker. Uh, Nigel, are you with us? Can you do the Bethesda Bagel ad, or should Michael do it? No, I'm here indeed, and yes, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. Dave Sims eating a Bethesda Bagel right now. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, day after day, I'm more confused. Yeah, I look for the light through the pouring rain. You know, that's a game I hate to lose, and I'm feeling the strain. Ain't in a shame. Give me the beat, boys. Free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. That's Dobie Gray. That's one of the 100 best songs of all time, Drift Away. Thanks to our guests today, Chuck Culpepper, and to my right, Dave Sims. Thanks to our sponsors today, Sunday and Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. All right, this is an email from Greg. After listening to the latest email theme, I looked up the name of my high school yearbook. It was Grenadier. Lacking adult vocabulary skills, I looked up the definition. A soldier armed with grenades or a grenade launcher, a common bottom-dwelling fish with a large head, a long tapering tail, and typically a luminous gland on its belly. I'm not sure which of these definitions at Yorktown High School felt was appropriate, but given the fact that we had no grenades on the property and my 10th grade English teacher had a large head and a gland on her belly, I'm going to go with the fish. (laughs) Speaking of the Grenadier, several years ago I was at a high school friend's house getting ready to go out for drinks. While he was in the shower, I started thumbing through his old yearbooks, and I noticed that for some reason I hadn't signed the one from our senior year. With a smirk and evil intent, I grabbed a pen. At first, I wrote the normal things a high school senior would write. This year was epic. We're going to get so wasted in Ocean City during Beach Week. But then I started to slowly and subtly predict the future. I perfectly forecasted when our friends would get married and what kind of jobs they would get. I suggested what companies might be good to invest in. I think I ended by insinuating that he shouldn't sleep with a girl who I knew gave him crabs in college. Then I put the yearbook back on the shelf and waited. Nine years later, he called me on a Saturday night and he couldn't speak. He was laughing so hard. I couldn't stop (laughs) laughing either because this was funny for me on two levels. One, that it took nine years for this prank to finally pay off. And two, he had just revealed to me he was spending a Saturday night sitting alone at home reading his old yearbook. So sad. So funny. Greg Garcia. From Dan Shea in Denver, Colorado. Is it too late for yearbook names? If not, I went to Boulder High School in Boulder, Colorado, and our yearbook was... Odorlock, Colorado spelled backwards. From Matthew Nielsen in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'm a first-time emailer, but I've been entertained by your show since 2001. The stacking up of little email topics has finally compelled me to write in. My yearbook from Charles M. Russell High School in Great Falls, Montana is called the Russell Log. The most famous person from my hometown certainly also had one, although I was not invited to sign it. The last time I ran into him was in 2016 on a small Delta flight from Salt Lake City into Great Falls. As fate would have it, his grandmother had passed away the same week as my grandfather, and we were both returning home for separate funerals. Had I known then that I would be writing this email today, I'd have brought along my Russell log and asked Ryan Leaf to sign it. There, I've caught up on a few topics in one email without mention of outlets or sea salt. From Tony Beeson. In 1983, the yearbook known as Epitome declared me the glass man. As we came up on 40 years later, I feel old and brittle, like glass, man. So this is Tony Beeson. Oh, he's jumping. He's a basketball player. He's like over the rim as a basketball player. That's what they mean by glass. From Mark Gudelski in Rockville, class of 1971. The yearbook at Walter Johnson High School in Bethesda, Maryland. Yes, that Walter Johnson, alma mater of Nils Lofkin and Tim Kirchin, is the windup. And the newspaper is the pitch. I wonder if people even know who Walter Johnson was when they go to that school. I hope they do. From Michael Baranek, University of Akron, in keeping with our email topics, currently high school yearbook titles, Alliance High School in Alliance, Ohio, called There's the Chronicle, and newspaper was the Weekly Flyer. Um, since Columbia's closed, why don't you and Michael come up to the Jersey Shore and be my guest at Jumping Brook, an A.W. Tillinghast gem. There's a residence in on the same property. Regards, DG. Do you know that course? I don't know the course, but I'll take the offer. Jumping Brook, yeah, Tillinghast. Why yeah. wouldn't we do that? We're putting that in a separate page. 
Elite Olshansky, <laughs> now that you played the... <clears throat> did you listen yesterday to the Melissa Etheridge song by <clears throat> Kirsten Onstad? Very good. Tremendous. So this is Elliot who wrote the music. Now that you've played the Melissa Etheridge dog walking jingle and read the email mentioning my dog Patches, I wanted to share what might be the first canine equivalent <clears throat> excuse me, of a David Aldrich moment. Patches is a picky eater and doesn't like any of the food that we had left over from our old dog Milo who passed away in May. So last week I was bringing Milo's unopened food out to the car to donate to the shelter he came from, the little shelter in East Northport. I was playing your show from my phone as I did it and as I carried a load. I heard your first mention of your high school yearbook, Patches. When I got to the door, there was my dog, Patches, having heard her name from the podcast and waiting to see who had said it. Obviously, calling it the canine equivalent of a David Aldrin moment is a bit cumbersome. So perhaps we should call this a copper moment. Best regards from Suffolk County, where I'm very excited to watch Greg Garcia's new show, Sprung, when it premieres on Freebie. So Freebie must be a thing on August 19th. I've never heard of Freebie. Do you know it? I don't. I just... It used to be IMDB TV. They rebranded it. Freebie? So does that mean it's free? Does that mean anybody can get it? Yes. So I don't have to pay for it? No. You have to watch commercials, though. I don't care about that. All right, one more. Uh, this is from, I don't know, P.W. Bucci, it says. I love the podcast. I listen on my commute from the Bronx into Manhattan. Being an oldie but goodie like you, I especially like the song quotes from Nigel at the end of the show. <coughs> Excuse me. On Monday's show, you quoted the lyrics from Palisades Park by Freddie Cannon. And Nigel went on to give you Freddie's real name. What you both miss is that the writer of this song was gong show creator and self-proclaimed spy Chuck Barris. I know this because Chuck is an idol of mine, and I was lucky enough to meet him and have him participate in a version of the gong show I did for a radio show about 15 years ago. As the story goes, Barris worked as a standards and practice person at the television music show American Bandstand for ABC. He'd also produced pop music for records and television when he came up with a song about an amusement park. It was suggested by the record company that he use the name of an amusement park as the title. One night he was in Manhattan when he looked towards the New Jersey Palisades cliffs on which the amusement park sat and the rest is history. The song peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100 for two weeks in 1962. <clears throat> went on to become the biggest hit of Cannon's career. Did you see that movie? The Chuck Barris movie. What's the name of that movie? Nigel, what's the name of the Chuck Barris movie? Isn't it like The Most Dangerous Mind or something like that? That's, it is. <clears throat> Sam Rockwell plays Chuck Barris. The movie's great. It is an unexpected treasure, and you're not sure, you're just not sure if Chuck Barris was a spy... <laughs> Or wasn't a spy. I commend that movie to everybody. And if you're out in bike tonight, everybody, as always, do wear white. Okay, we wound up 5 and 11. Not very good. Not the worst. Uh, but there was Not some the worse than us. I guess that's one positive way to look at it. We weren't the worst, worst team in the league. Steam on the jet plane, and he's almost done. Glisten in the sunlight, silver birds flying. Faces in the window, saying their goodbyes. I know all the places that you've been. Looking in Bring it down. 
Crying men would all 
Give me. 